Welcome, adventurers. An unexpected and eerie visit from a raven was followed by a more unlikely visitor at Esmeray's door. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon You are looking for something. Answers you have not thought of. Solutions for problems you have not found. These words stifled Esmeray's anger, broke her train of thought. All she was able to get out instead was a stammering. What? Of what do you speak? Who are you? You are looking for something. Desire it more than anything else in this world, was all the woman said in response. Esmeray's head swam. What was this? But in her dismay, a flicker of greedy hope kindled inside of her. The heart. How could this riffraff know of the heart? And then, as if the gray woman had heard her thoughts, she continued. Whispers of your deeds, of your desires, have reached my master's ears. They would offer you assistance. Help you gain that which you want. The greed grew inside her, but suspicion as well. Esmeray had always been careful. She had never spoke of what she sought directly. None alive knew for what she searched. So how could this woman's handlers? I know nothing of your masters, Esmeray said. So how is it they can know of me? And then, after a moment, she found herself saying, What I seek is of great value. What do they ask in return for their assistance? My masters see far, know much. They have seen your deeds and wish to meet you. The price of their assistance is between you and them. It was not really an answer. But it was an answer Esmeray would give, and that gave her hope. And your masters are where? Here, in Ardisport? No, you must go to them if you wish to speak. Go where? In the moors above the Shalshalis, south of Chamato, just north of the Usmana River. There you will find one to direct you. That does not pass for much of a description. Will you provide me a map? Or perhaps lead me yourself? The woman's flat eyes considered her for a moment before answering. That is not my destiny. And with no further words, turned and made her way toward the gate. Wait, Esmeray called after the woman stopping herself at the last second before stepping over the threshold and triggering her own trap. The moors are an enormous area. How will I find this person of whom you speak? How will they know I'm coming? The woman had reached the gate, 
extended her hand and pushed it open with a squeak. She didn't turn back to look, but spoke. I know you are coming. But how do I find them? The woman stepped through the gate and turned south. Her voice came back over the wall as she left, cold and flat. Follow the raven. A of wings, and the giant raven landed once more atop the gate and turned its head to look at her. She did not follow the raven, at least not at first. She had stood with the doors wide, staring at the thing. One small move of her staff to assure herself she was not frozen again. She waited to see if the fear came back. It did not. But then the bird was sitting much further away than when it was upon her sill. The raven sat on the gate. It did not call out, only adjusted its head occasionally. As this impromptu staring contest had drug on, Esmeray had begun to re-examine all that had just occurred. The pure and utter absurdity of it all. Follow the raven. To some unknown place in the wilds above the Shalshalis. On the word of some impoverished countrywoman. She most certainly would not. The more she considered, the more embarrassment welled up. Esmeray was used to controlling every aspect of a conversation, from tone to pace, to topics discussed, and even the eventual outcome. But she had clamored after that urchin's words, nearly begged for more information, like some uneducated laborer gone to see a false prophet. Embarrassment turned to anger, and it ended with a strong step back into the tower and slammed doors. The magical wards were reset. She stalked back up five flights of stairs. At the top she peeked to the windowsill and around her study to make sure there was no sign of the raven. She could see none. She walked then with careful steps toward the window, which remained open. Picking up her staff, she lowered the head, holding it point out. Her pace slowed more still as she reached the opening. But the caution was for naught. As she made her way to the window and looked out, it was gone. No raven, nothing but her yard, the city beyond, and the fading light of the day. She closed the windows, paused, and then raised her hand and staff, tracing sigils in the air counterclockwise around the window. Red symbols, as on the door below, flared to life and then faded. Esmeray repeated this process at both sets of stairs and the window facing south. Only then did she return to her desk, setting her staff aside and slouching down in her chair. She sat unmoving, green eyes staring into nothing. Esmeray sat that way, brooding, long past soul-setting, eventually falling into a fitful sleep. It was early morning when she woke, neck stiff from a night passed in a chair. Thoughts coalescing, she stood 
and stretched, eyes flicking to the north window and then the south. Nothing to be seen but the blue of sky. She should get something to eat. She had neglected it since the bird's appearance yesterday. But maybe a fresh dress first. She stood, staring at the north window. She should get some food or change her clothes. Esmeray went to the north window. The glass was thick and imperfect. To see the detail of anything that lay more than a pace beyond it, it would have to be opened. Her fingers slowly rose. Words were spoken, and the wards were lifted. She opened one pane and looked out. Seeing no sign of dark wing or dark eyes, she opened the other and cast her eyes down upon her yard. Nothing unexpected. No raven. She closed her eyes and inhaled a large breath of morning air, which caught into her chest at the sound. The cop, cop, of a raven's call. Her eyes popped open and she scanned the scene before her. A second call drew her attention. Across the street, two buildings to the north, on the roof corner nearest her, sat a bird, a large black bird, sat the raven. She had cursed, closed the window, and reset the wards. She wasn't going. At least that is what she told herself. Instead, she did her best to return to her daily routine. She took up with her many correspondents, always seeking out more information, whether it be histories of the Kriyas Dayanandere or studies on ritual magic and the formation of magical barriers, both separate and together. Esmeray also worked at a subtle campaign of misinformation about the existence of the Kriyas Dayanandere. In some part, it was as simple as finding books that mentioned the druids and stealing or destroying them. Beyond this, she had also begun to write her own false histories, each from a unique perspective and hand. She had agents distribute these writings to libraries, resiliums, and archives throughout the province. Her most ingenious of all was a book of children's stories titled The Legend of the Kriyas Dayanandere and Other Folk Tales from the Gimlin Woods. In the fourteen years since their destruction, she had already made a considerable chip in the fact of the druids' existence. It helped that they were not many, and further, that a relatively small number of beings had actually met one of the order. She doubted there were many living who knew what lie under the hill in that temple. But she was one that believed in planning over luck so the campaign of misinformation continued. She had enough trouble as is without having to compete with some unknown entity for the treasure within Sisti Tamhain. In fourteen more years there would be serious debate on whether the druids had ever existed. Fourteen after that, belief in them would be considered childish. It was not lost on her, however, that with those twenty-eight years past, she would be eighty-three. Her mother yet lived at that age, but for how much longer? Given the nature of her father's death, there was no information to be had there. 
If the years upcoming were less productive than the fourteen that had just passed, then it wouldn't matter who knew of the heart. It would matter that she would never lay her hands upon it. She pushed the doubts aside. A completely unacceptable outcome. Esmeray did not fail. She always got what she wanted, even if that meant finding a way to extend her life. A thought that had come to her in the last year or so. For three days she continued as normal. For three days she went to the north window, thrice daily. Not always in the same place. Not always easy to find. But always there was the raven. If she did not pick it out of the scenery within a half bar or so, it always called to her so she might find its roost. On the morning of the fourth day, upon seeing the raven for the first time, she returned to her desk and did not take up her daily work, but instead sat in contemplation. She disliked the idea of the bird, and though she had dismissed the words the woman spoke to her as utter rubbish, what if it was prejudice that was keeping her from accepting it? Fear of what that bird was. For though it appeared a raven, everything in her experience with it so far, everything in her learning, everything in her being, told her it was not. But then this might be the very point of it all. The bird's power had overwhelmed her, the most powerful wizard in the province. It had let a wretched woman waltz through her magical defenses as if they were no more than a gentle breeze. And though her loss of power had seen her but a beat from throwing herself to her death, here she still sat, alive. All these years she had lamented her inability to find a power strong enough to defeat the druid's magic, to find a path to overturn what they had done. And now, after fourteen years of searching, she was going to turn away a possible lead, just because it had come to her, just because it had scared her. It was, in fact, exactly how Esmeray herself handled many relationships in her life, by making it clear that she was the dominant power, that disobedience of her wishes could well result in death. The more she thought, the more she realized she was acting as a fooled child, not a powerful wizard. What harm could come of taking some weeks to trace this line? If this entity had desired her death, then she would be dead already. If this was not but an unraveled hoax, she would suffer a small time on the road and in the wilds. But if it was what it appeared to be, a wretched smile curled on her lips. She would hold the heart. At lunch, she had checked the window again, for the first time with an eager anticipation. The raven sat not on any building at a distance, but again atop the gate. It called to her as soon as she opened the window. Esmeray looked on for a few beats and then smiled. Soon, my dark guide. She spoke down to it. I must make some preparations, but we will journey soon. The remainder of her day was spent in correspondence and magical communication to those agents and servants 
that needed to be made aware of her absence. Instructions passed on of what actions to take during that time. The next day was spent contemplating the nature of the raven and the possible source of its power. This exercise then informed the items she would bring along. Two large tomes, a pendant made of a strange dull gray metal, two rings, four wands, and of course her own spellbook and staff. These things packed for her possible protection, she paused a few more bars and then retrieved a thin goblet made of a smoky green glass. Though it appeared delicate, it could have been thrown against the floor with all of her might, with no consequence. As Esmeray held it in her hand, her teeth and eyes buzzed. A gift was always appropriate when one wasn't certain who held the upper hand. She supped early that night and slept a restless sleep. Early the next morning, she left her tower, locking it, barring it from entrance by any of the normal means, and doubled the wards. On to the carriage house she went. A sleek black carriage sat inside, and nothing else. Esmeray opened the door, climbed within, and sat. She traced sigils with her staff on the opposite wall of the compartment. Outside and in front of the carriage appeared two horses. One a dapple gray, and beside it one of all black, save a white blaze on its face and a white sock on its front right foot. She continued to scrawl and chant, and a driver appeared as well. Illusions, both horse and driver. The carriage that drove itself drew unwanted attention. Leaving her yard, the carriage turned north. It hardly mattered how she made her way out of the city. With the vague directions provided by the woman, she knew they would be headed north for at least some time. As the carriage clattered along the street, Esmeray pulled back the curtain at the window and peered toward the sky. A black spot flapped along, its path paralleling hers. Follow the raven. Where will this guide lead? What powers lie at this journey's conclusion? Join me next week for part three of A Path Beyond the Wall. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes or any of the other apps you might be listening on. It really helps the show get seen.